Okay. Um, welcome to the uh, second BIM podcast. My name is Andy Bourne, Director and BIM Recruitment Specialist at Charter Recruitment. This is the second BIM podcast in the series where we get under the car bonnets of a number of construction companies and see in, in practical terms how BIM is actually delivered. See what the, the BIM Level 2 mandate really means, key challenges and highlighting best practice. Um, I'm happy to introduce Mike Turpin, uh, Head of uh, BIM for Capital Property and Infrastructure, a well-known national design consultancy. How, how are you this morning, Mike? Good morning, Andy. Uh, yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, yeah, so thanks for having me on the call. Obviously, discussing today um, kind of the BIM Level 2 mandate, really what it means to us at Capita and some of the views on where just over a year now into the mandate and we're discussing kind of where that's come from and where we think it's going, especially within our business. Oh, great stuff. And, so, and before we go into that, can you just introduce introduce your yourself and your sort of BIM journey and how, how, you, how you got into it and where, yeah, where, which sort of background you, you, you've come from? Yeah, so um, so might have a uh, head of BIM at the moment for capital property and infrastructure. Um, so looking after our property and infrastructure business, which is uh, divisions of architects, engineers, QSs, project management, really everything um, design related uh, from earliest conception right through to kind of on-site delivery of projects, um, but without the contractor arm. Um, So I originally started my kind of BIM journey, if you like, back in 2007, 2008, uh, originally from a structural engineering and public health engineering background um, so working on uh, kind of design of projects um, which then brought me at that time into kind of getting involved with the Autodesk and Revit packages especially for the structural design elements um, which is a full change of uh, change of process from moving from the kind of AutoCAD world into the kind of 3D modeling side obviously back at that time it was really the earliest kind of ideas of what BIM was and it was kind of just being bounded around as a kind of concept at that time but without any of the formal kind of PAS processes and documents which we had and I think it was kind of a few months after that where the original BS 1192 2007 actually came out so kind of very first ideas of how you store stuff the obviously um implementation of common data environments which were all very new back then and without all the uh, cloud technologies we've currently got available um so yeah so i got into bim through that process um and then over the couple of years getting more involved on the 3d modeling um did a stint in the middle east doing some uh, mep modeling over there and then slowly started to move into the kind of bim sphere in about 2010 11 12 um moving from the design of projects into a more strategic bim manager role uh working initially for a medium-sized uh engineering consultancy then into a small engineering consultancy specializing specifically in the uh, kind of bim management for projects um and then three years ago now moving to capita property and infrastructure um heading up the implementation of bim across uh, the company there oh, I so see. it's been a quite interesting role no i bet i bet and in terms of um bim 
within Capita? I mean, how, how is how is that struck? How is that structured in terms of yeah? So within within the company, um, we've got a centrally funded um, kind of BIM team, which is headed by myself. Um, but also, we realise BIM's not just about having kind of one central team of experts so we don't rely on having that we tend to focus on the message of kind of getting BIM out to everyone in the company rather than just having a one kind of expert team that delivers all of the BIM work we try and kind of spread that knowledge throughout the company um, and as part of that we have an internal BIM steering group uh, which meets every month to discuss kind of all the topics going on uh what's needed where we go next what's working what isn't working um and that's formed from people right across our business so i think it's it's around about 45 50 people at the moment from across our business we've got architects we've got engineers we've got um qa people we've got it people we've got um hr people a full range of literally everyone involved in our business um so they can all dial in feedback um and it's generally one person per office um so again we've got a representative in every office across the uk so we can kind of spread best knowledge spread all the learning but also get the feedback from those offices of what's working what isn't um and what's needed to really kind of fully adopt bim the bim level two processes and and just out of interest because you it's interesting you've got you say you've got architects engineers qa do you find that really helpful you've got different different you know, positions and disciplines who are sort of looking at BIM and coming at perhaps some different angles in terms of you know, how, how it then how for you to then form strategy and how, how it's rolled out I think it's definitely useful having all of those different views and opinions in one group um, obviously sometimes if you're in a kind of single discipline company um, say an architects or a structural engineers you would tend to focus on one particular part of the bin process and obviously that's works for a lot of people um obviously being a true multi-discipline company we rely on so many different people and having them all come together and discuss the challenges which we different for each discipline is really useful and also with say the likes of the um QA people, um, the HR thrown in kind of different angles, which some of the technical staff don't always consider. Um, so that's really useful. But sure. at the same time, it also brings a lot of challenges around because no one solution tends to fit everyone. Um, you can't keep everyone if, happy. <laughs> no, as specifically, even more when you're looking at software. Obviously, BIM goes far beyond software, but any kind of software system will have to be different for a lot of the divisions. Um, Things like even down to common data environment kind of requirements will be completely different for the infrastructure teams as it is for the building teams. Um, and again, mainly down to client expectations. So our kind of building clients have completely different requirements than our infrastructure teams. And even if you go down to it on a more granular level, even the infrastructure teams on the difference between the smaller projects kind of a single piece of highway or a local council um, kind of highway scheme compared to the likes of Crossrail, HS2, Network Rail, etc., where they're very fixed requirements and what exactly what you must do, what you mustn't do, sure. what software to be used. 
etc so yeah it's both a benefit and a uh, challenge i think <laughs> yeah sure and then just looking at the history of boom at Capsi, i mean when did it when did it sort of first start start for i mean when was it sort of first introduced or or yeah how, you know, when and how how was that sort of initially done so initially it kind of came in with um i say the 3d software at the time the likes of um autodesk revit was coming out um civil 3d our, our particular programs that we mainly use so it was brought in first of all as a change of design drawing software um this so this was in kind of 2006 2007 before the whole um, bim process kind of became widespread um and that came in let's say purely as a transition to if you do it in this 3d software it's better it's faster better outputs etc um, so that started that way for a couple of years. So then obviously we had the BS1192-2007. Um, so that started to bring in some process change, um, but then mainly moving into kind of 2010-2011 with the government's construction strategy and really the formation of task group um, really kind of brought in focus that this is going to be more than just changing software. This is going to be something which we need to pick up and adopt um, and really get in place in the business um, and that was when we first formed um, it was actually called our dip group at the time dip which stands for the design innovation project um, so it was about innovating what we do with design um, to actually make what we do kind of better and more efficient um, and over time through 2010 and to 2013 really focused on just looking at ways we can do it better and obviously that really came back down to BIM um, and focusing on that so that then became our kind of BIM steering group from 2013 onwards. Oh, I see. And then since, since you've been in place for the last sort of three years how, what's the I mean, what's the, been the development there I mean how did it look like when you were you were when you first came in compared to compared to what it is now? So when I first came in um, a lot of good work was done um obviously they were kind of quite far ahead of where they uh where their capacitors were at the time um however there's lots of kind of isolated pockets so whilst great work had been done in certain offices where they had seen the benefit to it and where they had client requirements to do so there was fantastic work but in other offices where they had no requirement there was still very little understanding um so I think it's like a lot of companies, you kind of start off with, well, we've got a requirement to do BIM here, therefore we'll build up the expertise in that team. Sure. Um, so it was really kind of my role to come in. We had a lot of um, kind of staff changes at the time. Came in, looked at it, what we're doing across the business with an aim of kind of taking that knowledge and experience in those certain offices and trying to share it out across the division. So it's mainly been a challenge of getting the, kind of people who are ahead of the officers are ahead of the game trying to harvest their knowledge and what's gone right what's gone wrong and trying to be able to share that across the rest of the company um, and maybe help officers who don't have any formal BIM requirements from their clients but help them understand which parts of BIM they can actually adopt to use for their own benefit maybe even if it's not for the benefit of their clients straight away no I, I see and in, and in looking at the um Government mandate, um, I suppose it the BIM level two, which um, 
came in before 2016, but that's when everyone was supposed to be adopting it. Um, what, what what has that meant at practical level for, for yourself and Capita? I think personally, it's been a great help um, to kind of get people on board with BIM and what it is. Um, I mean, without the driver, I think we'd still be years back from where we are now. Um, it's really helped people who don't necessarily see the use of BIM to go, well, it is important, it's been mandated. Um, it's definitely helped the kind of senior people across the business see it as a really kind of important strategy because it affects projects, um, it affects revenue. Um, it's helped people write down the grassroots on projects, also understand it because they're seeing, well, it's been publicised in all the industry magazines. Um, they're hearing about it. It's on LinkedIn and Twitter and kind of everywhere else you look at the moment. So I think that mandate has really kind of built that whole communication piece up. Um, and people say, well, if the government are behind this process, then it's not just something someone's made up. It's actually kind of worthwhile. It must be tested and supported. So, so even if they are... And sure, they think, well, we've we've got to look, we've got to look into this at the very least. And then, from I suppose, I mean, what, did you find a big buy-in from sort of directors in Capita uh, at any stage regarding it? Yeah, I think it was um, at early stages. It was difficult to kind of put across what it is um, because um, obviously directors are very busy and got lots of other things going on at the same time to so try and condense BIM down into the essence of it and help people to understand it in kind of a very short summary is always difficult um, but I think again having that kind of mandate behind it and that forced to kind of go well this is something we need to take notice from from that point there was really a oh yeah we can see why they're doing this now we can see the benefit and obviously this is going to affect a lot of our projects so we're going to need to get on board with this whether we like it or not but obviously seeing the efficiencies that have come out of it since or kind of very much behind it now sure and then um sort of key challenges within sort of delivering or the, the mandate or well, yeah what what, you, what what would you say they would be well let's say i think the bim level two mandate has been a fantastic thing for getting the industry to where it is now i say coming back from my own experience of kind of starting to adopt bim in the 2008 9 10 and Anyone I'd speak to never heard of BIM, never understood it. Coming through to kind of 2011, 2012, when one or two people would kind of have heard of BIM, to where we are now following the mandate that pretty much everyone in the construction industry now has at least heard of the word, even if they don't quite understand what it is. Um, so I think that is purely down to the mandate. So I think what that's done is fantastic. Um, I think the challenges and the downsides to it is it's been so overcomplicated um, that it's made it very, very difficult for anyone to adopt. I mean, you've got kind of six PAS documents now, British standards, you've got the CIC protocol, you've got the Uniclass 2015 system, um, and all of these, and see all the Kobe stuff, um, all of these components which go to making the BIM Level 2 um, kind of workflow work and yet there's hundreds of pages of documents you have to read um, lots of stuff you need to understand and it's people turning BIM level 2 into a very kind of specialist market 
which means adoption is always going to be difficult because I personally, we've got 4,000 staff in our property and infrastructure division. They don't have the time to sit down and learn the full ins and outs of BIM um, to the level of detail it's been put forward. So my fear is that the challenges it's been too overcomplicated. So when it becomes complex, people choose not to kind of follow it. Um, they choose, and if they don't see any value or benefit to them, it makes it very difficult to kind of infuse people into doing this. Sure. And how, how have you how have you tried to overcome this? Basically, just try to make it simpler. Um, we've tried to take the essence of what all these documents are and kind of re read them review them and condense them down almost into kind of one page summaries um so we did this with um a whole suite of documents we created called the simple bim guides um, starting with the simple bim guide for architecture simple bim guide for quantity surveyors etc uh, etc et for all of our other disciplines and basically wrote down in two sides of a four saying well this is what bim is for your discipline this is what it's not this is what you might have to do this is what you wouldn't have to do um to just try and kind of summarize it down so at least people have got that basic understanding and something on two sides of a four they can pick up and review over a kind of coffee break almost rather than like say with how busy everyone is at the moment trying to get them to read through a couple of hundred pages of pasdoc is in my view never going to happen um, sure. not in the widespread industry oh absolutely and and in terms of um, just going back to the, the uh, looking at the level 2 mandate with regard to your clients I mean did, did you have um, different clients understanding it some not some who you think what should adopt it didn't did, I mean is, was there, is there a big difference in terms of the adoption from the, your actual clients itself yeah, I think we're definitely seeing a change in the adoption. Um, people looking at BIM, people trialing BIM projects, um, but even the government departments themselves have been very kind of different around their kind of uh, adoption of it. So I think that really started in 2016, although the mandate was designed that everyone will be skilled up and ready for that date. I think it was more a case of people actually started doing something after that date or from that date. Um, so you had the likes of several government departments, obviously new tenders and bids and PQQs going out. We're all then just starting to ask these questions. And I think they're on a learning curve as much as anyone else in the design or construction industry is. Um, they're learning what they need to ask for, how they need to ask for it. So there's been some frustrations around what, we had to do and how things have to be filled in etc uh, um, i think most of those have been worked out now so i think the central government as a client have done fairly well uh, given the task they've got in the actual kind of bidding stage to actually get people up to speed we've seen various government kind of client working groups we do a lot of work with the environment agency i must say they've been very good at kind of getting themselves up to speed um, they've got a kind of BIM working group. Uh, they've kind of got framework level BEPs set out, so they've done a lot of work, um, both externally working with their supply chain, uh, but also internally making sure their staff understand what they're asking for, 
how it needs to be delivered, what needs to be given over each stage. So I think they've done very well. Um, but then also, obviously, the mandate applies really to the central government works. But we're seeing a lot more kind of private clients now going, well, again, if the government are doing this, there must be reason behind it. They must have tested it. They must see the value. Therefore, as private clients, we actually think we could benefit from picking that up and um, replicating really what they're doing. So we're seeing a lot of private clients of all kinds of various disciplines um, kind of trialing BIM pilot projects, some looking at it from the kind of improvement in quality, um, looking at it from the kind of visuals, from the 3D models, whereas others kind of going into the data side, uh, looking at the asset management information, um, handover improvements, etc., etc. No, I see. And what would you say the the key benefits of this adoption for capital I mean, and sort of bringing up some sort of specific examples there? I think there's a whole host of kind of benefits. Um, obviously, the main one is kind of efficiency in what we do. Um, so it comes into kind of two tangents for me. There's the benefits that we've got from adopting new digital technologies. So the likes of adopting 3D modeling packages, um, adopting kind of CDE-type systems. Those obviously have a whole host of benefits in making things faster, more accurate. The fact we can kind of do crash detections now, um, we can review models, we can output 3D visuals and fly-throughs in kind of a matter of a few minutes sometimes. Um, that's really been a massive benefit um, to loads of people across the company. I think the BIM Level 2 side of things and the whole process is a bit more difficult to um, kind of put across the benefits of it because for me personally, I don't think that the benefits come out of one individual. I mean, for me, the benefits only come if everyone across the team works as a kind of one team. So the client, the contractor, the, all of the designers, the supply chain all have to get together and if that's done well, then everyone on that project will get benefit out of it. But I don't think it comes down to if one person chooses to follow uh, the BIM Level 2 protest that they get a benefit out of it themselves. I mean, the benefits in my eyes come for that end client. And therefore, if our end client's happy, we're happy. Again, the contractor can get something out of it. So everyone as a kind of whole project team get something out of it rather than us specifically as the designers sure and have and have you seen the difference between say where the process where everyone those workers are one team compared to the pro- a process where people it's you know not done it not done it i mean if, if you if is it can you is it like tangible benefits you say right okay the it's you know cost less it's it, the quality is better i mean is it is there, is there anything that you can actually point to there yeah, again, it's one of those ones that's very difficult to justify because you yeah. could, yeah, you could yeah. say, well, this project we've done it ten percent faster, or we've done it ten percent better, or, but because we're building one-off buildings, you go, well, you don't know what problems you would have had or wouldn't have had if you had have followed the other process. Um, so it's all right saying, okay, well, we've identified this clash um, that would have cost this much to fix on site obviously without kind of 
going back and forth into the future you can't really tell what would have happened or wouldn't have happened sure. had you have done it using the other method um so that's been i think the biggest problem for us to quantify it um but also I know, from the kind of bim task group as a whole to actually say is this better or is it not and how much better um i think what can be agreed is that everyone who's worked or everyone across our business who's worked on a bim level two project where the entire team have kind of really pushed into it have all said it works far better as a process where everyone kind of collaborates together um everyone's sharing design information um earlier it's all kind of recorded it's done for a cde system there's they all agree it's a better process to work in um, better outcomes but i think even that's still got some way to go um with the likes of collaboration and um the way contracts are currently set up and the way the construction industry works with kind of claims and everything else i think whilst the CIC protocol does a good job at improving that process um, there's still a lot of legal issues and um, contractual issues that we need to sort out um, to truly make BIM level 2 or when we get to it BIM level 3 work as efficiently as we can get it to Sure and then looking looking into the future and I, I don't just mean in terms of what level 3 level 4 looks like but just in terms of so development of BIM and digital engineering and how that will change or shape the way capital works. I mean, yeah, what, what if you sort of look into the future? I mean, do, do you see that vastly changing the ways that you're working? I'm, yeah, just really looking in and thinking how, how that you know, the real key benefits of the future, sort of digital engineering and its development and how, how that will change the way people work and what it will that gain, what it will look like, really. Yeah. Well, I kind of think and hope really that in a certain time frame, whatever that might be, that obviously BIM level two becomes the normal method of working. Um, and that's kind of the norm for any project, whether it's a client requirement or not. Uh, obviously, I'd also hope that a lot more clients now start to pick up these processes and start to work with the rest of the team. Um, so, yeah, my hope really that the BIM level two stuff kind of becomes day-to-day business norm which we're almost getting to that point now um obviously you've got the bim task group now investigating bim level three and four um and some interesting stuff coming out of there again my fear with that the same as the bim level two is is it going to become more complex um more standards more papers more processes which thrown on top of the already complex bim level two stuff is going to make it kind of a complete niche specialist market. Um, I think that is a concern. Uh, it's a complex change on top of complex change. Almost. Yeah. yeah, and trying to do it too fast when a lot of people who are only just starting to adopt BIM Level 2 and then there's suddenly a next level. It's almost like, well, if you haven't started, there's now a BIM Level 1 and BIM Level 2 and a BIM Level 3. You go, well, we're so far behind. Is there any point actually starting this journey? Um so I think that could be a risk of that. But in terms of the kind of future and development of BIM digital engineering for Capita, um, really as a kind of company looking at the wider Capita group, so much of what we do is around digital processes and um, kind of data, data analytics that really we're interested in looking f- further forward at this and almost taking it away from 
the BIM realms, being able to, able to analyze what's going on, um, being able to improve the processes with the uh, asset information, um, that kind of handover stage, and also look at the kind of operation of buildings um, is a big part of what we do as a company. So we're investigating at the moment how we can improve that operation stage. Um, and we're looking at the um, kind of future around smart cities. Uh, we work with a lot of local government clients. We're very interested in kind of where the future is going, smart cities, the Internet of Things, the idea of kind of having sensors and feedbacks and kind of being a link, all that data and information together. I think BIM's got to be an input into those systems. So sure. we have to get BIM right to get that information in. Um, I think it really leads us nicely into that kind of smart city sphere or smart towns or smart buildings. Um, but BIM really has to be one of those kind of key inputs into that. So I think it's going to be different. I think the design and construction is still going to sit with that BIM level two stuff and over time transition into the BIM level three. Um, but really for us as a company, it's about taking BIM and make and investigating that kind of next step with the smart cities realm, I think is our kind of biggest interesting area at the moment. Oh, interesting stuff. Well, look, thank, thank you very much for your time, Mike. That was um, very interesting. So, yeah, I pre- appreci- appreciate what you did, you did there. No problem. It's always interesting to um, talk through these points. Oh, absolutely. Well, look, thanks, thanks again for Mike and everyone who's listened. My name is Andy Bourne from Charter Recruitment. Thank you and goodbye.